Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Mission Pastor Hoffman Rod concludes our series in Proverbs with the wisdom of family. My name is Hoffman. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is a joy and privilege for me to close out our series on the Proverbs. We've been five weeks in the Proverbs, and today is the last day. Next week, we're starting a new series in 1 Peter. And just as if you've been tracking with us in Proverbs, by way of reminder, Proverbs, together with Ecclesiastes and Job, they make an Old Testament trilogy that's known as the Wisdom Scrolls. As the first of the trilogy, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs was written to answer the question, How can we live well in God's good world? It covers a broad range of human experience. It covers relationships, money, sex, power, forgiveness, and much more. Life requires wisdom. Living well in this world requires wisdom. And Proverbs makes the bold claim that in order to gain wisdom, you must get to know God because he is the creator of all things. And he has woven his wisdom into the very fabric of the universe. In the words of the Proverbs, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The basic message of the Proverbs is that when we accept the authority of God and live according to his design, we begin to live with the grain of the universe and life tends to go well. But when we reject God and reject his authority and do not walk in his ways, we are living against the grain of the universe and it leads to ruin and shame. Now, simplistic reading of the Proverbs can lead to a faulty understanding of life as we experience it. Because life doesn't always go well for the wise. And sometimes fools succeed. So how are we to make sense of this? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. Is it a book that reveals a general pattern? Proverbs offers patterns not promises. So if we grab hold of Proverbs and we treat them like guaranteed promises, we are setting ourselves up to be sorely disappointed. We need the other wisdom scrolls. We need Ecclesiastes and Job because they are reflections on the human experience when life doesn't fit the pattern. When dictators oppress with impunity, when the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. So if you're struggling today to make sense of this world of chaos in which we live, then these three scrolls still offer profound wisdom for the modern world. But as helpful and needed as all three of these are, the whole trilogy does not resolve the tension that we experience. They don't make complete sense of life. They don't give us the whole picture. Not even the whole Old Testament can do that. For that, we need the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears on the pages of human history, he resolves the tension. He reveals the mystery that's been kept hidden by God for ages. He completes the picture. He and he alone can make sense of it all. He is the full revelation of the wisdom of God. You see, in the Garden of Eden, The first Adam was presented with a choice between two paths represented by two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The path of accepting God's rule or choosing self-rule. Obey me about the tree was the command. Adam's reply was this, not your will, but mine be done. He chose autonomy and he plunged the whole world into misery and death. This is, is the wisdom of man. 
Humanity's no becomes a refrain and a tragic song that gets sung again and again and again until it crescendos on the day when the high priest tears his robe and we hear the crack of the whip and the outcry of the crowd, crucify him. And our voices, yours and mine, joined in. The pinnacle of worldly wisdom is this. Jesus, the son of God, hung on a tree. It is the inevitable conclusion of humanity defining what is good and evil on their own terms. It is the summation of humanity doing what is right in its own eyes. It is our ultimate claim to personal autonomy. The cross is the end point of all sin. It's where all sin leads, my sin and your sin. All of it, it leads to the cross of Jesus Christ. The path of worldly wisdom could have only led to the murder of the Son of God. But it is right here at the cross, in this very same moment, that we see the wisdom of God revealed. You see, in, the, in another garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus contemplated the crucifixion, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, was given the command, obey me about the tree. And his response was not my will, but yours be done. He chose the path of God's wisdom and was nailed to the cross. This is the wisdom of God. Jesus thought it right and good to give his life for sinners. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are both laid bare before all the world to see on the cross of Christ. It is folly and shame to the world, but to us who have eyes to see, it is the wisdom of God. Through the cross, the wisdom of God triumphs over the wisdom of man, putting to shame its arrogance its, and its self-absorption. Through the cross, we see a God who delights to give himself, to give himself fully, unreservedly, freely, unconditionally, sacrificially. And if there's ever any doubt at whose wisdom triumphed in the cross, look no further than the resurrection. The resurrection proclaimed to all the world that the cross was not Jesus's defeat, but his utter victory over sin and over evil and over death. This is why it is good news that Jesus and no other is king. He is the only king who uses all of his power and all of his authority and all of his life to lay it down so that we might be saved. This is the wisdom of God. There's no greater power in the universe than the saving love of God in Jesus Christ. And now this power has come upon us. This is the wisdom of God revealed. This is the moral logic that's woven into the fabric of the universe. It was there at creation it was there on the cross and it will one day fill the heavens and the earth. Don't we want to get in sync with this wisdom now? Don't we want to let God's way shape our way? Can't we lay down our pretensions to know what is best for us and trust what God has said is best for us? 
Can't we let him define what is good and evil and pattern our lives accordingly? Today, we are gonna consider the wisdom of God for, in, revealed in Jesus Christ for the family. The key text for today, if you wanna turn there, is Proverbs 22, verse six. It says this, train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he, is old, he will not depart from it. I wanna briefly make three observations from this verse today. So if you're taking notes, here they are. First of all, there is a way in which we should go. And secondly, that God calls us to train children in that way. And thirdly, he gives us grace for the way. Number one, first of all, there is a way in which we should go. The Proverbs presuppose that there is a way in which we should go, that the readers of the Proverbs want to know that way. They want to love that way. They want to go in that way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be reading the book. Remember, the original audience of the Proverbs were, the, were ancient Israelites. If they were listening to or reading the Proverbs, they would have known who they are, whose they are, the covenant people of God. They would have understood their role in the world. They would have known the covenant that God gave their father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They would have known that God redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to himself to be his covenant people, to be shaped by his law of love, to be a display people for all the nations to see what does it look like to be in a covenant relationship with Yahweh, with God. They were to be a display people. They were to be the bearers of God's redemptive mission to all nations. They would have also known that God's way for them did not require sinless perfection. He gave them the system of sacrifices. The way of God for them was a way of continual repentance and renewed faith in God's mercy through the atoning sacrifices and his forgiving grace and his steadfast love. By walking in this way, by grace, through faith, they would be a kingdom of priests and a light to the nations, demonstrating what life looks like under the merciful, loving reign of God. Now, to say that there is a way in which we should go, we being all humanity, that runs at odds with the spirit of our age. The idolatry of our day rejects the very notion that there is a way that we should go. Our culture cannot tolerate that message. The spirit of our age is to each his own. You go your way, I go my way. And if we believe in God, he's to serve me and going my way. Western culture has reached the pinnacle of human autonomy and a complete rejection of God's created order, especially as it relates to family, to marriage, to parenting, to gender, and to all the rest. Our culture encourages, actively encourages, puts great social pressure on the whole populace for everyone to do what is right in your own eyes. But as we've already seen, this way leads to death. There is another way, a better way, is the way of Jesus that leads to life. So in reading the book of Proverbs on the other side of the cross for us as the church in the 21st century, we carry forward Israel's role and mission in our day, we too have been called, redeemed, set apart by God and Jesus Christ to serve his purposes in the world. He too wants to shape us by his royal law of love so that the most defining characteristic about us as the people of God is self-sacrificial love, the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we be and embody that people, we become a light to the nations, 
showing the whole world, what does it look like to live in relationship with this God? He's amazing. There is a way in which we should go. Secondly, God calls us to train children in this way. I wanna highlight just two things from this. First of all, when it comes to children, we need to remember there are trainers and there are trainees. Adults, especially parents, are the trainers. Children are the trainees. This is the way. Children are to submit to the training process so that they might learn the way. Parents are the ones in authority. Children are to come under that authority. This is the way that God has ordered his world. The fifth commandment is this, honor your father and mother as the Lord, God, Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord, your God has given you. Proverbs 23, 22 says this, listen, child, to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. God wants it to go well with us and our children. Parents, don't we want it to go well for our children? We really do. We want things to go, we want life to go well for them. It's in the heart of every parent. But our culture is very confused about the role of parents and about the role of adults. We have in our culture a very deep and abiding suspicion of authority of all kinds, parental authority included. And now we could talk for a long time about the roots of this suspicion. But one of the effects in our day is a cultural shift towards what's called a peer orientation or a peer oriented view of child development. Dr. Gabor Mate is a Hungarian Canadian psychologist and physician. And Courtney ran across one of his books entitled, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. And in it, he describes a peer orientation that's prevalent in our culture. It is a tendency for children and youth to look to their peers for direction, for their sense of right and wrong, for their codes of conduct, and for their very identity. It's common in our day, is it not, for children to be bossy, demanding, insatiable, and to think that really think that they are in charge. And it's common for parents to give in to that demand. More and more children are taking the lead in adult child relationship, and our culture encourages that. And this problem has only been exacerbated by children and youth access to social media. But you see, children are not meant to take the lead. That's the last thing a child, the last thing a child needs is to believe that he's in charge. When little Johnny and you and little Johnny are at the checkout line in Kroger and they strategically put all those candies right there and toys and the child, little Johnny starts screaming, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. You wish there's a trap door you could just pull and you just fall out, of, you know, <laughs> nobody could see you like you're so embarrassed. We've all been there. The last thing little Johnny needs is to think little Johnny's in charge. It will damage his soul. You see, children are not only too immature and inexperienced to know what is best for them. They're born into this world with rebellion in their hearts. They already want to be God. They're on the wrong path from the start. And the last person they need advice from is another child. This is the way of the world. 
This is not the way for the people of God. There is another way, a better way. The way of adults owning our God-delegated responsibility. They are too precious. Children are too precious for us to leave them to themselves. They need us to lovingly guide them, to teach them and to live out before them what it looks like to live well in this world. From the breakfast table to the ball field to the boardroom and all of life circumstances, they need a guide. God has given them that guide. It's called parents. And not only parents, but other adults in the Christian community. We'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, training in the way requires dedication. The Hebrew word for train in this verse is Chanak. Its most literal translation is to dedicate, like when Solomon dedicated the temple upon its completion. It means to set something apart for a special purpose. It means we are to set our children apart to God and for his purposes in the world. This is why uh, at churches, at this church and other church, you see baby or child dedications. We, we are saying we want to set this child apart and we want to do our part in, in, in charting for them the course of life so that they might live it well. So let me ask you, what are, what are you dedicating your children to? to? Or another way to say it, to what are they becoming dedicated? What is capturing their hearts? Now, sports are big in our culture. I love sports. Sports are good. Education is big here too in this town. I love education. I'm still involved in it. Education is good. But they can't become idols. How are these things shaping our children's hearts? What is it encouraging them to love? So play this out. Play it out all the way. If our children continue on the path that we are charting for them, what are they most likely to love most in the end? Are we training them in such a way that they're more likely to become dedicated to Jesus Christ in his way than any other thing? If not, we might want to reconsider the path we've charted for them. Because it's entirely possible, it's easy, in fact, for them to get the scholarship, to play at division one level, to grow up to be the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer, to pack out a 401k, to retire at 50, and to check every box of worldly success and become a warmly pious, morally upstanding idolater. It's all too easy. What is their vision of the good life? What has captured their imagination about what is best and true and desirable in this world? Do we know? Do we know what's capturing our children's hearts? We must know. We must know. And this kind of knowing takes time. We're constantly pressed into a rush, rush, more, more pattern of life that leaves no time, squeezes all the time away from our children. And we must resist this cultural current and make time to be with our children. They need us not to just be around them. They need us to be truly present with them. They need us to listen to them. They need us to, to probe into their hearts and, and help them draw out what it is they really want, what it is they really care about. When one of our kids hits another on the head, I say, what were you wanting? 
They need to know that. And we need to show them that what they are wanting and how, what, the, what, what the effect upon, uh, of that is. Pain. Unless they are wanting God and his ways. So taking time and intentional time with them does not necessarily mean we walk through some Bible curriculum with them, though that's a good thing. We need to do that. But it means orienting ourselves, ourselves to God and being open to him throughout the day and to sharing with them out of the overflow of our relationship with God. It means being in awe of who God is and letting them in on that awe. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says, you shall teach them, meaning the ways of God, to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Some of the best moments I have with my children are, on, are in the very, very ordinary moments of life or on the way somewhere, like on the way to school, um, taking Molly, my kindergartner. She asked me, you know, it's a five-minute drive from my house, and she asked me one day, Daddy, if... If God knew that Adam was going to sin, why'd he still create him? I was like, sheesh. I mean, I just I'm halfway through my first cup of coffee for the day and I get this, you know? And so I was like, okay, God, help me. I um, was not prepared for that question today. And, but um, lo and behold, God really does help us, believe it or not. And so uh, what came to mind was, well, you have two sisters, right? Yes, two older sisters. And they're sinners, right? Oh yeah, she knows that. <laughs> she knows that about her sisters. And, and mommy and daddy knew that they were sinners. Yeah. And we knew that it's probably likely that if we had another child, she would be the same, right? Now she's like, mm, he got me. You know, she's, yeah. And we still decided to have you, didn't we? Yeah. So I think that's the way God was. He wanted you. He wanted us because he wanted us because he wanted to love us. Um, often we talk about the glory of food in our family, like pancakes, for example. And just stay with me. Um, pancakes are glorious on many levels. Um, but we talk about the, the extensive care of God and delight in his people to give us good things like maple syrup. So take, just take maple syrup. So I'll ask them, how did this maple syrup get on our table and onto our pancake and into your mouth? How did that happen? And they're like, now they know where I'm going with this. But in the beginning, I really had to tease it out. And like, well, this, didn't, this got in our fridge. It came from somewhere. Somebody had to put it in that bottle. Um, and that bottle had to get from somewhere. Well, it came from a maple tree. And somebody had to stick a tap into a maple tree and draw out that sap. Well, isn't it amazing that a tree can produce sap that can get put into a bottle, put on a truck, driven to Kroger, set on a shelf, then da- and God can give daddy a job where he has money, where mommy can walk into that store, buy that bottle and bring it home, put it in the fridge and put it on your pancake. Who thought of all that? Who cares about all of that? God does. And why? Because he wants you to enjoy maple syrup on your pancake today. Because he delights to give good things to his people, to his children. And he put, not only that, he put, he gave you a tongue in your mouth and taste buds on that tongue so that you could taste the sweetness of that maple syrup. Why? He could have given us tongues without taste buds. He didn't. Why? So that we might come to know his sweetness, his goodness, 
his kindness to us. So we do that in lots of different ways. I'm just saying it takes time. It takes time and conversation with your child to uncover for them the mysteries of the universe revealed in Jesus Christ. This other-centered, outward-moving, self-giving love of God revealed fully, finally in Jesus. It takes time to to show that to them. We are um, teaching our oldest daughter about um, how God... um, brings children into the world. And so I want to talk with her about pregnancy and God's design for the womb. And I want to explain to her that the womb is this beautiful idea of God, created to be a place of intimacy, place of safety, security, nurture, care, where a, a child can develop from conception all the way to birth. It's, it's this most amazing process. It highlights God's wisdom, but not only that, the sacrificial love of a mother carrying a child for that long, it's, it's a beauty to behold. And it is a reflection of the beauty of our self-giving, uh, other-centered, loving God who made the whole process. It's revelatory. I want my children to see that. It takes time. It takes time, patience, and conversation. And it takes repentance as well. I wish I could say that all of those experiences are good ones. No, they're not. If there's anything my children know about daddy, it's that he's a sinner. They know that very well. I don't hide that from them. I can't hide that from them. They know that, but they know that daddy is a sinner who trusts in the grace of God. When God convicts him, he repents. And he believes in that grace and he receives that grace and he wants to change deeply. They know that about me. If there's one thing that we can give our children, show them the path of repentance and faith in the grace of God. If they can learn that, they will live life well. They will know that God does not require sinless perfection, but a life of continual repentance and faith in his grace. Speaking of grace, it brings me to my last point. God gives grace for us on the way. One more look at this proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. First of all, notice the pattern. This is not a promise, but it is a pattern. Some parents train up their child in the way they should go and they do depart from the way because it's not a promise. But still the pattern holds and that it holds is by the grace of God. It's a pattern for a reason. Children are most likely to follow the way of their parents. It's just the way it is. Secondly, God gives us a community. This is his grace. Christian parents should never, ever be alone in parenting. It takes a whole church family to raise up a child in the way he should go. This is quite obvious by the simple fact that following the way is following the way with other Christ followers. None of us can follow the way of Jesus alone. We're called into Christian community. So when we do that, we're following the way, we're bringing our children into that community. And that community, as we've already said, is being shaped by the sacrificial love of God. They begin to live that way towards one another. It takes a whole community to raise a child in the way in which they should go. The families in ancient Israel knew this. 
They were part of the whole community of the people of God. They were not on an island and neither must we be. No parent can show their child all that they need to know about Jesus. We are not sufficient for that task in and of ourselves. First of all, because of sin. I don't reflect Jesus the way I ought to. But secondly, because it takes the whole body of Christ to fill up the measure of the fullness of God that our children need to see. So my children need your Christ-likeness in order to more fully know Christ. And your children need my Christ-likeness for the same reason. We need each other. Training children in the way is our community project together. This is why um, at this church, I'm so thankful for our children's ministry, Grace Kids, and all that goes on back there. I'm so thankful for all the volunteers that volunteer on a Sunday morning. I'm so thankful for Caleb and um, the Grace students, the ministry with youth and college students. I'm thankful that we are trying to live out community groups as a multi-generational communities. My children need to see my adult friends follow Jesus. And I need my adult friends to see things in my children that I might be missing. My children need to see high schoolers who love Jesus and college students who love Jesus because they're just a few years away from that. They need to be able to envision themselves walking in, the, in, in that way. They did it. Okay, I can do it. They need models. We need one another. And lastly, he gives us promise of his all-sufficient grace. He never calls us as parents or as a whole community to raise up children and train them in the way without first providing everything we need to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. He is with us in every moment. When we meet some life of life's complexity or get some question from a child that we don't know how to answer or fail them in some way and don't represent God in the way we ought to, his grace is there to meet us at every moment. in every interaction, and every situation for all of life. We can pattern our lives after the way of the world or after the way of Jesus. There are but two ways and only two. The way of living for self that leads to death or the way of dying for others that leads to life. These are the only two options we have. Whichever way we go, whichever pattern we fit, our children are likely to follow. The choice is ours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and exalt you that you are the king who delighted to give yourself for us on the cross. You reigned from the tree. You put to shame the powers and the wisdom of this world and all its selfishness and all its oppression and all its violence. And you showed us a better way a better way, the only way to be truly human. Help us, oh God, for, for we ourselves to walk in this way more and more and help us to train the children in our midst in that way and help us to do it together. For your sake, amen. Thanks again for listening this week. We hope you all have a restful summer and look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Until then, you can find out more online at graceauburn.church.